Well, hello, I'm so glad that you're joining us today as our church has been going through the uh, book of 1 Corinthians, and we've been in this series called The Gospel Fix, and we've gone through this verse by verse, and today we're going to be dealing with what is my favorite part of 1 Corinthians, which is actually chapters 12 through 14. And the reason that it's my favorite is because I've probably studied it in recent years more than any other passage of Scripture, uh, because the way that I was raised, I was really confused about spiritual gifts. I was really um, under this idea uh, of what I thought they were, what I thought my role was in operating in spiritual gifts, and I was basically just going through the motions of what I saw and what I had experienced, but I never knew what was real. I never knew what was right. I always felt like someone else had it figured out, and I was trying to get to where they were, but I never felt like I myself had gotten there. So uh, when I got into my early 20s, I really set out on a journey to explore this particular part of Scripture that we, we are going to be dealing with here today. And I'm really excited to be able to share those things with you. And I, I'm not saying that as an authority, like I've got it all figured out, but I have settled some things in my own heart. And I hope that whatever misunderstandings you've had with spiritual gifts, that this will help settle some things in your heart as well. So with that in mind, why don't you go ahead and turn in the Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Don't forget, you can always follow along on version, and you can just search for a live event in your area. Even if you don't live in the uh, Sheboygan Falls area, you can just type in Word of Grace in the search area of the live events, and you'll be able to follow along there. So make sure you do that and utilize those resources. Also, one more quick little um, commercial. Uh, we are making the study guide notes, which is actually a thing that we're going to be producing every week, and it's going to take the sermon just a little deeper and give you and your family some things that you can study on your own that will be able to help you guys to grow deeper in your faith and understanding of the text. And those are available on our website, WOG. Church. So make sure that you take advantage of all these resources, especially during this time um, when you maybe have a little bit more time on your hands. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, remember this is Paul, and he's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's trying to communicate to them that they've got the wrong idea about a lot of things that they arrogantly thought they had figured out. And now the Apostle Paul is trying to help reset them to what really matters, and he does this by anchoring them to the gospel, by showing them what really matters most. And so he's continuing to do that, even dealing with spiritual gifts and the misunderstandings that the church had concerning spiritual gifts. If you'll remember last week, he talked about head coverings and he talked about communion. And so he's kind of systematically going through these different issues, dealing with them. And now he's transitioning to deal with how this church was arrogantly misusing and misunderstanding spiritual gifts. And my prayer, my hope is that today, as you're watching this, that you will grow in your understanding of spiritual gifts and that you will have all those fears hopefully eased and erased and be able to put your trust in Scripture because you can understand this. God did not put this in here to confuse you. He's not the author of confusion. He is the author of peace. Amen. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to read the first three verses to get things kicked off. Verse 1, chapter 12, Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. There you go, right there. That's got to make you feel better. Um, concerning spiritual gifts, doesn't want us to be uninformed, doesn't want us to be confused. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. 
Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So here he's talking about genuine transformation. He's talking about if someone is genuinely transformed, if they are legit, if they are truly a believer, if they're truly someone who is empowered by the Holy Spirit, someone who has a Spirit of God living on the inside of them, he said, the only way they can say Jesus is Lord is by the Holy Spirit. So there's this test of legitimacy. In other words, if it is from God, the glory and attention will go to God. Paul doesn't want Christians to be ignorant of this because there's a lot of fake stuff out there proclaiming to be spiritual in nature, a lot of stuff that's claiming to be from God. And sometimes it's of the flesh, sometimes it's satanic in nature, and sometimes, and, and this is honestly what I think most of the time when it comes to churches and Christians and the way they misuse and misunderstand spiritual gifts, I believe that sincere people are ignorant and they think themselves spiritual because they believe that they can manifest this or manifest that. And I think it's done more out of ignorance, not really out of uh, some sort of satanic motive, but it doesn't make it okay. You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong, right? Right. Okay. They've seen it done maybe by someone else. Maybe they've been exposed to it. Maybe they've been coached, you know. But folks, you can be sincere and ignorant. This is especially true of the gift of tongues in particular because the Corinthians thought, much like people in our day and age think in certain circles, that the gift of tongues makes someone more spiritual than another person. And so they use that as a litmus test as, you know, kind of where you tier, where you, where you rank um, in your spirituality. The Corinthians were doing the exact same thing, and Paul's trying to help them fix this. All right, let's keep reading. Let's read verses 4 through 11 here. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who, appro who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Man, I don't know how I missed that Scripture growing up. But the Holy Spirit gives gifts as He wills. This is not something for us to try to conjure up. It's not something where we're instructed to try to make this happen. No gift is greater than the other. And this list here is not even an exhaustive list. Some people think, oh, these are the nine gifts of the Spirit. There are a lot of gifts of the Spirit. And we can see where Paul talks about other gifts in other places in Scripture. This is just the list he's using. He's trying to make a point. He's trying to give an example, and he's trying to show them, listen, all this stuff is from God. And so how can we start classifying, saying, I'm more important because I manifest this gift, or I'm really a Christian because I exercise and manifest and operate in this gift? It's all from the same Spirit. And it's all for the glory of God. It's not so you can be promoted and elevated in the eyes of God, because if it is from God, 
the glory and attention will be on God. It will point people to God. That's why I get just so angry and so frustrated when I see people claiming that they have this gift or that gift and they use it to try to attract and draw people to themselves so that they can build their own following or they can be known because they have this gift. It's not to bring attention to the person so you can have yournameministry.com. It's for the glory of God. Not so you can sell your book or fill a stadium. Oh, now I'm getting on a soapbox. Okay. But the thing is, is that the Holy Spirit gives gifts as He wills. This list is not exhaustive. And some people think that tongues is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But I would argue that because according to Scripture, the evidence of being filled with the Spirit of God is love. That's what we see, that you will be known as my disciples if you have love for one another, not because of some gift that you possess. Yes, I understand that people did receive the gift of tongues on a few occasions after being saved in the book of Acts. But if any consistent gift was given through the New Testament, it wasn't tongues. It was actually a newfound Holy Spirit-driven boldness to share the gospel. That was really the consistent piece that we see. When Peter, the scripture says in Acts chapter 2, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he spoke with such a boldness that the people around him were like, isn't this the fisherman? Isn't this the guy that's uneducated? How is he speaking these things? How is he carrying such authority? It wasn't Peter. It was the Holy Spirit. And it was in that moment the Holy Spirit gave him that gift. And we see where large groups of people would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and they would be empowered to go out and proclaim the gospel. And so it's not just about tongues. Sometimes that did happen, but it was all for the glory of God. And remember, as He wills. That's how the gifts of the Holy Spirit get distributed to the body of Christ. As the Holy Spirit wills not as you and I can conjure up or make happen. Let's read verse 12. Let's finish this uh, chapter. We'll take a big portion of reading here and help us to see a little bit more. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God 
has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Verse 29, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. He asked this rhetorical question. He says, is everyone doing the same thing? Everyone has the same role? Like, you wouldn't go, I don't need my feet anymore. I don't need my head anymore. I don't need my hand anymore. That would be ridiculous for us to just cast off a part of our body simply because we thought there were other parts that were more important, whether seen or unseen. There are gifts that God gives to the body of Christ that maybe they're more out front. The gift that God has given me of teaching and preaching, that gift is more out front. That gift of leadership is more out front. It's more on the stage. It doesn't mean it's any more important than the person who may be in their room right now on their knees praying that no one else sees them doing that except for God doesn't mean that what I'm doing is any more important than what they're doing. It doesn't mean that the, the, the gift of administration and, and, and the gift of helps where someone may be serving another person and they may never even know their name. It doesn't mean that what they're doing is any more or less important just because it may or may not be as visible. It's not the visibility that gives the importance. You see, that's man's way. Man gives importance to what is most visible, but yet that's not the way God looks at things. God is looking at things through a different value system, and folks, we've got to get on board with God's value system if we want to grow as Christ followers and stop putting people's and people and titles and roles and gifts as some sort of arc, uh, 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 some sort of hierarchy of importance. That's man's way. Man goes, oh, you're important because you have the parking space with your name on it. Oh, you're not important because you park way over here. You know, we like to think in VIP mentalities. It's not the way God works. Pastor Derek doesn't have a gold star by his name in heaven just because he's a pastor. No, that's not how this thing works. And no one has a gold star by their name because they, uh, they speak in tongues or because they operate in a gift of miracles or faith or whatever the case may be. That's not the purpose of this. No more than you would give more importance to different parts of your body, whether seen or unseen. The gospel helps us to stay rooted in this because the message of the gospel fixes misunderstanding spiritual gifts because what we're about to find out is that the gospel grounds us in the love of God. Because chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is dealing with spiritual gifts, very blatantly. Chapter 14, same, same deal, dealing with spiritual gifts very blatantly. Chapter 13, though, as we read, you see that he's dealing with love. But he didn't all of a sudden hit the pause button on teaching on the gifts of the Spirit to give people the scriptures that they can use in their wedding. That wasn't the point of chapter 13. The point of chapter 13 was to connect this whole message, not just the message of the gifts of the Spirit talked about in 12 and 14, but also his entire letter. Because throughout this entire letter, what's been the unifying message? What's been the thing that's been anchoring every one of these problems? Remember the first problem in chapters 1 through 4 that Paul was addressing in the church was division. Remember that chapters 5 through 7, he, he's dealing with all of these other challenges that they're facing uh, where you see there's sexual immorality. And then you see him continuing to deal with challenges of head coverings and food sacrifice to idols and abusing the Lord's Supper and now misusing spiritual gifts. What's tying it all together that's the real cure and the real answer? It's the gospel. The gospel, the message 
of the hope that we have in Christ, that you and I cannot save ourselves, but Christ, because of His love for you and for me, has given Himself for us. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's supposed to be the thing that anchors all of these behaviors, all of these misunderstandings, and unifies the body of Christ. And here in chapter 13, yes, he's dealing with the gifts of the Spirit, and he's trying to build a bridge here, but he's also letting them know love is the answer for all of those other challenges as well. It's the love of God. Because here's what he says. Let's go and read this. Uh, first three verses of chapter 13. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You see, love is the key motivator, and it should be the foundation for the use and even the pursuit of any spiritual gift. It's another layer of verification that the person is truly operating in a gift that is from God. Remember, the first layer of verification, what did he say in chapter 12? He said that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's a layer of verification. Is it glorifying God if this person's operating in this gift or is it glorifying themselves? Now here we have another layer of verification. Is it being done in love or is it something they're using for self-gain, for manipulation, or whatever the case may be? It's another layer. What's the motive? What's the heart? What's really going on here? You see, I, I think that we need to kind of talk about this gift of tongues thing for a minute because a lot of people are probably most confused about this one and probably the most afraid to talk about this one. Uh, all the other ones, everyone's kind of cool with because they can kind of explain them. But then with tongues, they're like, I don't know if I want to deal with that. Let's deal with it. Okay, there you go. We're going to go there. The gift of tongues is probably the most confusing because there's a lot of different ways people have viewed it. A lot of different ways. Um, the way I grew up, it was a very strange use. I could tell you some really strange stories that would make your head spin and make you go, people did that? Yes. Um, but first of all, let's talk about what it is, and we're going to talk about what it is not. The word tongues in the Greek is the word glossia, okay? And that word means languages. And the first instance of someone speaking in tongues is recorded in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, as we see when the Holy Spirit was given as uh, you see the, the, the people, the believers meeting um, on the day of Pentecost, which is in the second week of the Feast of Weeks, where people would gather every time it was time for the Feast of Weeks, they would all gather together from all these different countries with all these different backgrounds to be able to celebrate. And this is where God confirmed to the people from all different kinds of countries assembling in Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks that this message of the gospel was for everyone, not just for the Jews. And so now we're seeing that this, is, this message has, has spanned beyond just uh, the Jews, and now this message of hope is available for all people. The gift of tongues was used in that way because people were going, I'm hearing God glorified in my own language. How do these people know my native language? Are they maybe one of my fellow countrymen? Oh no, you, this is a Jew? They, they don't even know my language? They don't even know what they're speaking? How is this possible? 
You see, in that instance, when the Holy Spirit gave them the gift of tongues, it was the gift of languages where others were hearing God glorified in their own tongue, and it was for the evangelization of the gospel, and God was glorified. And this is where God confirmed that it was for all people. The gift of tongues can also be used to speak in a language that the speaker does not naturally understand, and the gift of interpretation is the Holy Spirit using a person who does doesn't naturally know the language to interpret what was being said as well. This verifies something that would cause people to marvel, and that's the point. It's supposed to make people go, how is this possible? Because God loves doing things that make people go, how is this possible? That's kind of God's thing. He loves putting people in that position where you go, man could not have orchestrated this or figured this out. How is this possible? Well, with man, it is impossible. But guess what? With God, all things are possible. And that people would know that it was from God because it wasn't something the person previously knew. Um, and here's the other thing, is that maybe uh, God would use that language to share something profound that would either edify the church, because here's the purpose that we're about to read, it would either edify and build up the church, or it would spread the gospel. Those are really the two primary purposes of these gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you've got to remember that. It needs to either be building up the church, or it needs to be spreading the gospel, no matter what gift that it may be. Paul also talks about, and we're going to read this in chapter 14, that the gift of tongues could be used as a personal prayer language for edifying yourself. And he's going to talk about that, and we're going to read that here in just a minute. But you do not have to speak in tongues to be a Christian. And if you don't have that gift, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't mean you're any less. And if you do have that gift, it doesn't give you a license to be weird. And I think that so many people think that this has to be like this, ah, oh, super spiritual thing. One of the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given me that I'm very aware of is I operate in the gift of knowledge. And I know that that is a gift from the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit will put things on my heart that I do not have previous knowledge to that I know are from God. And when I grew up, here's how I saw this played out and manifested if it'd be in a church service or if it would be, you know, uh, in someone's home or whatever, someone would go, oh, 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 the Lord's showing me something right now. Oh, oh, you, uh, there's somebody here in a blue shirt. You've been having back problems or headaches or something real generic. And then they would want to call that person out and they'll go, oh, that was me. Oh, that was me. I have headaches. Yeah, I know. Now, if you told me you had a headache last Tuesday at 7.53 p.m., That'd be different. But people, they, I've seen this abused, and it angers me when I've seen those things abused. And, and, and I've seen so much of the fake. I only want the real. And so what I do when God uses me in that gift of the word of knowledge, and normally here's how it happens. It's normally either in a sermon or it will be when I'm counseling someone. And what I do is I try to stop and I check my heart. I check my motive because sometimes I can be with people and I know what's going on in their lives and I may want to say something to them and I don't want to just stamp it with God just because I'm feeling something and I want to temper it. And so here's what I'll say. I always give a caveat. I'll say, hey, I feel, like, uh, I feel like God wants me to share something with you and this is not a part of our normal conversation. I really feel like this is from the Lord. And if it's not, please do me a favor and tell me because I don't, I don't want to miss this. I don't want to convince you that this is from God if it's just me 
in my emotions and in my flesh. But here's what I believe that the Lord wants me to share with you. And I'll share it, and then when I'm done, I'm done. And I'll ask them what they thought, and they'll go, yeah, I don't know. I'll have to let you know. Okay. Or they'll go, they'll start crying or whatever. Yeah, I believe that was from the Lord. God has used me in that gift quite often in my life. And then when I do it, when I preach, sometimes people don't even know it. I'll be in the middle of teaching, preaching here at church, and all of a sudden, I'll just kind of stop and I'll feel the Spirit just saying, share this thing. And I don't even know who it's about, who it's for. It doesn't matter because it's not about me. It's about that person and the Lord. And the best thing that, 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 I, that I could say uh, is that if you are being used by the Lord and the Holy Spirit is giving you a gift and empowering you to do something for ministry in that moment, the greatest thing is that nobody would be able to tell anything special about you because they'd be so focused on what God is doing in them through you that they're not even thinking about you. If they're thinking about you, and if they're going, oh, wow, Pastor Derek's spiritual, oh, man, he must be, whoo, wow. If they're doing that, then I'm getting the glory. I don't want the glory. This is not for me. I don't want to be a glory thief. And I don't want us as a church to be people who are glory thieves. I want us to be people who are focused on glorifying God. But to do that, I have to approach this in a healthy way, and it has to be rooted and grounded in love, all right? So here's the thing. Back to the, the issue of tongues. Uh, again, it's not the initial sign that someone is filled with the Spirit, and Paul also alludes to tongues as a personal prayer language, and you don't have to speak in tongues to be a Christian. So I just wanted to kind of camp out on tongues for a minute because I know a lot of people have a lot of confusion about it. Um, and if you have that gift, you know you have that gift. Praise God. It's awesome. Whether it's to be used for personal edification or whether it's to be used in another way, whatever the case may be, just don't make it weird. Because I, I, I grew up and I know that uh, others on our staff have similar backgrounds and we talk about these things often to where we've had some strange experiences. I, I remember hearing one staff person say that when they were kids, they were in an event where uh, the person was trying to get everybody to speak in tongues and they were saying, just say yabba dabba do real fast and you'll get the Holy Spirit. I don't see that. I, I've read this thing, you guys, and I don't see yabba dabba do anywhere. Or spell medicine really fast. It does help me to remember how to spell medicine, though, so I'm grateful for that. Uh, but the other thing is, is that you've got, you got people who are praying for you in a prayer line. One person's telling you to hang on, brother. The other person's saying, just let go. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Am I supposed to hang on? Am I supposed to let go? I don't know what's happening here. You know, I, no one in the Bible was taught how to pray, to pray in tongues. It's not in the Bible. Um, no one was coached. Uh, they didn't have a speaking in tongues 101. Uh, it didn't happen. Uh, God either gave it to them sovereignly by His Spirit, or they didn't have it. Sometimes people had it, sometimes they didn't. It's great. But we're not going to coach people. We're not going to make it weird. We're not going to make that something that is the focus, because the gifts, any of them, were never meant to be the focus. The gifts are a tool. They're not meant to be the sole focus. Jesus is the focus. Amen? Jesus is the focus. His gospel is the focus. And here in 1 Corinthians 13, love is the focus. So let's read the rest of this chapter. Uh, chapter 13, verse 4. Here's what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As 
for tongues they will cease, as for knowledge it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the, the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So here in this last little passage of text here that we read, um, the argument here is sometimes made that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for us or they're not for today because of that passage. Because say, well, you see right there, Pastor, it says that tongues are going to pass away and knowledge is going to cease and all of that stuff. I, I think that's a very, very weak argument um, to say that the gifts have passed away. It's a very weak argument because if you read the context, we're about context, amen? We're about context. So here as we read context, what we see is that he's saying when that which is perfect comes, the parcel's going to pass away, and then he starts to talk about his own understanding. When I was a child, I thought like a child, but when I became a man, I put away these childish things. I'm looking in a mirror dimly, but one of these days, I'm going to behold him. When? When I see Jesus face to face. So in context, we're looking at that which is perfect is not something that's happened here and now. It's something that we will experience when we see him face to face. Because let me tell you, if the purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for us to build up and edify the church and for us to evangelize the gospel, I don't know if you've realized this or not, but we need both of those things happening in our world today. And if we need both of those things happening in our world today, spreading the gospel and building up the church, then God's not depending on us to do it because we're so great. He has given us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit operating in you, in me, in his church, in your workplace, in your homes. That's where God is glorified. The church is edified. The gospel is spread. So I would, I would definitely wholeheartedly disagree with someone who would uh, say that that text confirms that these things are uh, not for here and now because he does talk about the things that are always going to endure. These things are always going to be around. Faith, hope, love. These are the greater things, not the gifts. These are actually the better things. When he talks about pursue those better things, these are the better things that you and I need to pursue. So let's, uh, let's keep on reading here because now we're going to talk about these things being done decently and in order. Chapter 14, let's read the first five verses here, okay? Chapter 14, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So here he's saying it's good it's good to pursue the gifts. It's not bad. It's not, it's not bad to earnestly desire these things because when you're desiring the gifts, here's what you're acknowledging. You're saying, God, I want to be used by you, and I realize I can't do it on my own. That's really what you're saying. God, I want to be used by you. I can't do this on my own. I recognize that, nor do I want to do it on my own. I need your Holy Spirit because guess what? The Holy Spirit is there. That word, uh, the, 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 the word in the Greek, the Holy Spirit, is our paraclete. That means our side aid, our, our helper, the one who is actually helping us do what God's created us to do, because that's how God gets the glory, not because all of a sudden you get to be God's shining star. No, it's not about you being God's shining star. It's about the Holy Spirit in you bringing glory to God through you, and it has nothing to do with you. It's all Him, all by His big bad self. He is, he's using us, equipping us, and even the good I do comes from him, and the glory goes to him. So God is most glorified. Amen? 
So he said, earnestly desire those things, especially that you may prophesy. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now again, he's not saying that tongues is a lesser gift, but he's also saying if you don't understand it, it's not really helpful. That's basically what he's, the point that Paul's trying to make here. If you don't understand it, it's not helpful because I don't know about you, but uh, you can give me some literature uh, from France and I could go, oh, wow, that looks pretty. Those words look weird. I have no idea what it means because I don't understand it. It's a completely different language. I can appreciate it, but it's not helpful except to the person who understands the French. They understand it. You see, so it's not edifying anybody. So Paul's saying here that, listen, there is this gift of tongues where you can be edified, you can be built up, and, and I do believe that that is a part of the gift. But at the same time, he said it's actually better for everyone because he's talking about in the context of the local gathering. He's talking about in the context of the local church assembly. He's saying it's actually going to be better if you actually speak in words that everybody can understand. But if you're going to do the tongues thing and God so chooses to use that that way, make sure someone's there interpreting because if you don't, it's just going to be weird. Nobody's going to be helped. Because remember, what's the goal? Not that people marvel at how spiritual you are. The goal is that the church is edified or the gospel is shared. And so that's what he's saying here. Now, um, as, we, as we look at this, we see that the gospel positions our heart to have the right motivation in pursuing spiritual gifts. Because as we talked about love being that anchoring force, that gives us the right perspective and motive to pursue those spiritual gifts. The gospel helps us to see it's not about us and that there's something bigger here and there's something more important at work. This is why he says it's actually better if you guys pursued prophecy over asking God to give you tongues, because if you're prophesying, if you're going to earnestly desire gifts, earnestly seek that you prophesy, because you're actually going to help more people that way. The gift of prophecy wasn't necessarily Paul referring to them telling the future in this description, but it was rather understood that this gift was one that could mean teaching, preaching, and perhaps even speaking things that God reveals to you to encourage someone, or perhaps to help bring confirmation to them about an issue that God had been dealing with you about. Again, don't be weird with prophecy. Don't be weird with these things. This gift is the one that I believe that God wants us to operate in regularly because we should be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's leading us to say to someone. We should be wanting to help one another. We should be teaching and preaching as being led by the Holy Spirit. Don't we agree that all those things are good things for all Christians to be doing? And wouldn't it be better if we weren't doing it in our own strength, but we were leaning into the Holy Spirit, depending on Him, to give us those words to say when we didn't know what to say, or when we didn't know what to do in a given instance? As a matter of fact, we even see that in the ministry of Peter, where Peter says, hey, when you stand before the Sanhedrin, when you stand before people, don't worry about what to say because the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. So depend on Him in those moments. A lot of times God will put someone on your heart or, some, or a situation on your heart and you're like, man, I just don't know what to do. Step out in faith and try to do something and say, Holy Spirit, I need you to give me the words. That, that's part of what I believe is this prophecy of encouraging, exhorting, building up other people. 
And maybe even in the instance where uh, it, it could be a, a Spirit-led teaching, a Spirit-filled led teaching or preaching, where there are many times, every time as a matter of fact, that I teach and preach, I can tell when I'm in myself and when I'm really focused on what the Lord is doing in me, because my outline often is just bare bones, and I believe the Holy Spirit kind of leads and directs and fills in the rest. And I think people can tell when Derek starts to get a little bit more involved with the thing, and it's not quite as Holy Spirit-led as well. And my wife regularly talks to me about those times. Um, (laughs) But at the same time, I I do think that it can be that. Gifts should not be uh, used as something for us to be weird or, or, or for something for us to try to outclass or outspiritual one another, but rather should be used for edification and for the glory of God. So that's why he, I believe he puts the emphasis on prophecy there. Um, verse 6, let's read the rest, uh, or let's read up to verse 33 rather. We'll stop before it gets too controversial and then we'll dismiss. No, I'm kidding. Um, verse 6, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? For, so, so with yourselves, if, you, uh, if with your tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. In other words, don't make it about you. Don't make it about your arrogant, selfish pursuits. Make it about building up the church. Verse 13, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in the tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? Well, I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? Like, when does he know when you're done praying if you're just praying in tongues? You see, I, I, I grew up in a lot of people still practice this where there'll be like an altar call or a prayer time of ministry, and someone will just pray in tongues over somebody. And I'm like, no, stop, just, just stop, don't do that. Don't just pray in tongues over somebody. You're not helping. I can't agree with you. How do I know when you're done? If someone's just, you know, M-E-D-I-C-N-E, yabba-dabba-do, and then all of a sudden, are, are you done? Amen. Oh, no, you're still going. Okay. All right. Yes, Jesus, do it, Lord. You know, like, he's saying it doesn't make sense. It's not helping. It's not edifying. It's not building up. So if you're ministering to one another, build each other up. Say something somebody can understand. It doesn't make you more spiritual. And God goes, oh, he's using the tongues. Oh, I really got to listen to that guy. That's not how that works. Verse 17, he says, for you may be giving thanks well enough. In other words, you're, you're fervent, you're passionate, you're, you're appearing spiritual, but the other person is not being built up. Do you see the motivation here? The, the motivation is building up, not impressing. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So here Paul, he's like, I am a person who speaks in tongues regularly, he's saying. But nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind or intelligibly in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. 
while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and the outsider or unbelievers enters, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, well, then he's convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. <clears throat> I wonder where these texts were when I was growing up. Verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. And now he's going to give them some instruction here because it's been chaotic. Verse 27, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three. And each one, let them take turns, right? And then let someone interpret because obviously these guys were speaking in tongues over one another, probably seeing who could be the loudest because they want to see who was the most spiritual. And Paul's going, no, 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 we're going to stop that mess right now. <laughs> If you guys are going to do this and you're going to exercise, make sure there's an interpreter. Take turns, okay? He said, all right, like instructing them like children. Take turns and let's not take up the whole church service doing this. Let's let two or three people do it and then let's be done with it, okay? <laughs> so he's trying to give them instructions. Why? Because they are out of order and it's making people who are just now hearing the gospel for the very first time go, what on earth did I walk into? And it's not helpful. So he's trying to get them back to being helpful. That's the heart here. Verse 28, but if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. So if he's going to speak in tongues, let him speak to himself and to God if nobody's there to interpret. So if he's going to operate in that gift, boy, you better hope there's somebody there interpreting. Because if you give a tongue out, you know, there doesn't need to be that obligatory, oh, fear not little children, I'm there with you, or whatever the case may be, because somebody always got an interpretation. No, it doesn't need to be man-made. If it's not God, it's not there, guess what? Somebody gives out a message in tongues, whether you're in a group or something like that, and there's no interpretation, that must not have been from the Lord. <laughs> we love you, but next time, just pray to yourself. Yikes, which means if you operate in that gift, you need to be sure you're hearing from God. Because people who claim to do and speak and operate in gifts of the Spirit in the name of the Lord, man, there's judgment attached to that. So be careful with how freely you go around rubber stamping God said or God told me. I don't want anybody misrepresenting me saying Derek said this and Derek said that. And I don't think God does either. That's another sermon for another day. Hello, somebody. Verse 29. <laughs> Here's the other thing. <laughs> This is the fun part. I've, in all my growing up, in all the weird spiritual kookiness I saw, I never saw verse 29 exercised, not one time. Here's what verse 29 says if someone gives a message in tongues. Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh what is said. Oh, I never saw anybody going, oh, let's, so-and-so gave a, gave a message. What do we think about that, uh, Bill? I don't know, Bob. What do you think about that? Was that the Lord? Or I don't see anybody doing that. It says, let them weigh it out. Whew, that's, that's weighty. Why? Because we're taking seriously what God is doing. We're not playing games. Amen? And that's what he's saying. If we're going to operate in these gifts, where's the accountability? Because if there's no accountability attached to it, then people are going to just think you're nuts and you're just speaking out of your mind and you're calling it God. God's not glorified with that. Stop it. <laughs> Verse 30, 
If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that you may all learn and be encouraged. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophet for God's not a God of confusion but of peace. So what he's saying here is that, listen, you guys shouldn't be prophesying over each other. If it's really from God, it can wait till the guy sitting next to you is done. In other words, oh, I, can't, I just can't, I can't, I can't help it. I know you're talking, but God would further say, brother. No, no, mm-mm, nope. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words, God's not going to, you know, treat you like some puppet. <laughs> and he just starts, oh, my, I can't move my mouth. God's moving my mouth. You know, I can't help it. Nope, that's not how God works. That's weird. If someone starts doing that and claiming they're doing it on behalf of God, wildly coyote roadrunner, man, take off. Because that's not the Lord. God doesn't do that, is what Paul's saying. He said, it's actually subject to you. You can be obedient in that moment, or you can choose to be silent in that moment. Do it respectful. Do it orderly. It's the same principle that he was using um, with the meat sacrifice to idols. Think about those who don't understand. Be aware of those that are new to this, and make sure you make the main thing the main thing, and don't get sidetracked with all this other, trying to out-spiritualize one another. So, the thing is, is that we have to ask for wisdom and we have to start with the right motive, that God would be glorified. The gospel being shared in the church would mean God would be glorified. The church would be edified. We need to earnestly desire spiritual gifts and we should be asking God to use us and we should also be recognizing that we cannot be used by God in our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to empower us to lead us to accomplish God's will, to accomplish the purpose He's created us for. But gifts should never be used to try to out-spiritual someone or to make a spectacle of themselves. Gifts should be used with the same priority of preferring the brother who does not yet understand. So be wise. Be mindful of where others are and be mindful of the fact that our hearts need to be trying to point them to Jesus. And if you lack wisdom in this, of knowing when to and when not to, use those gifts that God may have given you, no matter what that gift may be. Ask. The Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask, because God gives it freely. Lord, help me grow up in this. Help me grow up, because I want to be right. I want to honor you and glorify you. Give me wisdom. Give me a greater spirit of discernment. Help me to know when to speak and when to be silent. Let's finish this. Here we go. Here's the fun part. Just got a few minutes left. And so I don't know if we'll have time for it. No, I'm just kidding. All right, verse 30. uh, Where were we at? Verse 33. Uh, God's not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. Boy, I'm glad we're online, but should be in submission. Oh, that wasn't in there. As the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that has reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he's not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. So here's the deal. The gospel helps keep my, fo- my focus. It helps keep my heart focused on what truly matters. And this, in my opinion, is one of the biggest benefits of expository teaching and reading Scripture in context. Because this section of Scripture that we just read has been used to abuse women with this text and has not been looked at from an expository standpoint or in a contextual manner. And it's been used as and taken out of context to control, harm, and manipulate. 
So let's look at the context. Let's look at the whole book, not just this section of Scripture. In chapter 11, Paul permits women to pray and prophesy, which also could include teaching and preaching because some of the people Paul hung out with was women who were prophetesses, women who were deaconesses, women who would go and do ministry with him. So what's the context, though? Remember, in chapter 11, we see that women were allowed to pray publicly, but they had to do it with their head covered. What was that about? That was about the covering of authority. That's what that was about. So what was not allowed was for the woman to exert authority of the leadership role that God gave to men in the setting of the church or in the order of the home. Paul also had the prophetesses and deacons that traveled and ministered with him that he celebrates in his other letters to the churches. But then he says to the Corinthians that they should be silent. And in the context here, I believe that we can see clearly that Paul is talking about spiritual gifts being exercised decently and in order. So how do we piece this together? He is most likely referring to the disorder of tongues and interpretation and what we just read, judging whether or not those messages were from God. So I believe that in context, and I'm okay to be wrong, and you can challenge me on that, and we can still be friends, I'm okay with that. But in context, I believe that what Paul's communicating to the churches, not just the church in Corinth, but remember, he said, as in all the churches of the saints, that women are to keep silent when judging prophecy because the men were given the responsibility of spiritual authority and would judge whether or not the message was from God or not. I believe that he was saying that it is out of order for women to speak in the church to declare whether or not the message that was given uh, or was prophesied was from the Holy Spirit or not because it was causing confusion because they were like, well, who, who's the authority here? Like, who's, who's the one that's supposed to be doing the judging here? Because maybe the women were speaking up. That's why he said if they have questions... Or if they have things they want to talk about, they need to go talk to their husbands about it at home over this message that was given. So with that in mind, if you read over, reread verse 29 through 35 and discern for yourself what you think that the point most likely was. But either way, whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong, we can see throughout Paul's ministry um, that there were women who operated in their gifts and in their roles and did some powerful things in the church. And I don't believe that is that it is intended for the women to sit there and just not say anything at all. Because remember, this church was arrogant, they were out of order, and they were non-submissive. And why were they non-submissive? Because they misunderstood their freedom in Christ. They misunderstood that they thought freedom in Christ meant all the, the rules and all of God's order is thrown out the window and we can do whatever we want because Christ has made us free. But God is still a God of order, and that's what Paul's trying to reiterate here. Listen, you guys are out of order. These women are stepping into this role where there have been these men who have been placed in these leadership positions in the church to be able to lead in this way, and now they're trying to do the same thing they were doing by praying and prophesying without their heads covered. They're not submitted to authority. And so if they're going to operate this way, they need to understand that that's not their role. That's, these, that's those leaders' role. So they need to be silent in those situations and be silent in the church. I'm not saying they should just be silent, walk in quiet, walk out quiet, and only the men should be interacting on a Sunday morning at church. That's not what I believe he was suggesting. Uh, I believe that that is a, a healthier view of that if we look at the totality of the context. But in chapter 14, and really chapters 12 as well, Paul was saying we should desire spiritual gifts. We should desire to prophesy. We should not forbid speaking in tongues, but don't be weird because God is a God of order. 
Don't make it about you because guess what? It's not about you. Our role is to make sure that our pursuit of asking God to give us any gift is motivated in love and a true desire to deepen our dependence on Him. So the gifts that God gives us, they don't elevate us. They should actually humble us to be better servants. And it actually glorifies God. Think about Jesus. Jesus humbled Himself. He washed His disciples' feet. He humbled Himself by going to the cross. Why? Because He was driven by love. So church, this is an awesome time in human history for us to go out looking to be used by the Lord. It's a great time for us to use our influence, but we shouldn't do it in our own strength. We should do it empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we should be saying, Holy Spirit, use me. Give me whatever gifts you want me to have. Because when that moment comes, when I have that conversation and I don't know who it'll be with or when it'll be, it could be someone at work, it could be someone out working in the yard, it could be someone walking their dog, it could be someone you put on my heart to call, it could be someone that I interact with in the chat room. You could be interacting with someone in the chat room right now online that God could be putting on your heart to minister to maybe beyond even this service time. And you can't do that in your own strength. You can only do that in an effective manner by depending on the Holy Spirit. So it's okay to desire. It's okay to ask. So Holy Spirit, whatever you need to give me to do whatever is going to accomplish your will, help me to do that. Help me to speak truth and love. Help me to have the courage and the boldness. Maybe that's the gift that he gives you because maybe you're just naturally a shyer person and, and, and the Holy Spirit's going, no, today's the day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take someone who was an introvert, who's always been known as a shy person, and I'm going to put some Holy Spirit boldness in them and I'm going to give them that gift for this moment to talk to this person and that person knows them really well and they're like, wow, where did this boldness come from to tell me all these things or to talk to me about Jesus? And you're going be able to know it came from Jesus, that it came from the Spirit of God operating on the inside of you, and it wasn't you. It wasn't something you finally got bold. No, it was, it was the Holy Spirit, man. And that person's going to know, this isn't you. This isn't normally how you act. What's different? It's the Holy Spirit. He gets, he gets the glory. God gets the glory. So speak the truth in love. Give hope to the world that desperately needs Jesus. What a great time in the history of the church for us to have an opportunity and open hearts that are looking for hope. People who were hard over and selfish to all of their own things and their own ways are now becoming very soft and pliable and looking and listening to things they weren't looking at and listening to before because they're looking for hope. They're looking for peace. And we have the answer. Guys, we, we have the answer. It's Jesus because this world can pass away. This world can fall. But if you've got Jesus, you've got peace. In this world, you're going to experience trials and tribulations. But be not afraid because I've overcome the world. Greater is he who lives in you than he who's in the world. You are messengers of light and hope. So rest in the gospel. Rest in your faith in Christ alone and depend on the Holy Spirit to empower you to be used for his glory for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Father, help us do this. Help us do this. No matter where in the world we're watching this from, no matter where we're joining from, no matter what's going on in our lives today, we know that your spirit is moving and empowering people to desire to be used like never before. And we want to understand this, 
Lord, because just like Paul said, we don't want to be ignorant of these things. You want us to understand these things because you want us to not be afraid to be used by you. You want us to not be afraid to ask your Holy Spirit to empower us with gifts and to seek to be used by you, Lord. So we don't want to be afraid. We want to be mature. We want to be discerning. We want to be active. We don't want to be passive while this world's going through chaos. We want to be active sharing the gospel, but we know we can't do it in our own strength. We want to be active building up the church and exhorting the body of Christ, but we can't in our own strength. So Holy Spirit, we ask you in this moment to help us to do that. We're depending on you and we need you. Thank you for doing this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Number 6 and 24 says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. God bless you. Thanks for joining us.